What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 78th draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he's tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Matt, nothing's really happened since the last time we recorded a regular show, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing at all. Uh, man, yes. As we are recording this today, it is a Sunday, uh, November the 8th, and uh, Joe Biden is the president-elect. Uh, all is somewhat right, at least in the uh, in the United States, um, at least from our perspective. But um, yeah, a lot's happened. We haven't done an episode in about a month or so. We, uh, we kind of apologize. We've been doing monthly episodes lately, still putting out tons and tons of reviews over on Untitled Movie Reviews. So I hope you guys go check those out. We have reviews right now for uh, The Kid Detective, Let Him Go, Come Play, Borat, Subsequent Movie Film, Rebecca, On the Rocks, Trial of the Chicago 7, much, much more. Uh, so we've been steadily putting out content, but we haven't really recorded uh we've only done two of these in the last two months so uh i hope this is the beginning of starting to you know get back into the swing of things maybe do an episode a week or or, or bi-weekly but i'm we're aiming for you know episodes every monday um so i i hope we can commit to that and um but yeah man a lot's kind of a lot's gone down over the last you know month or so yeah, it's it's been one of those. I mean, especially you know, you, you've dated this episode now because mentioning you know we're. I mean, these on, episodes are kind are, of topical, right? Because right. we're talking about news and shit like that. So I feel like this stuff can be more dated than you know our reviews and stuff like that. Yeah, but what I was what I was getting at with with mentioning that is you know like with the American election over, which dragged out you know for a lot longer than people were thinking. Although I mean, the the Bush Gore uh, recount did take. 30 odd days after the election to kind of be settled by the Supreme courts and, and what have you. But, and that was much closer than what this is right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, there wasn't the added, you know, caveat of, of the pandemic in that situation where, you know, mail-in bo- voting was a, uh, a, a huge factor in a lot of the, uh, the, the potential flip States and um, sort of, you know, deciding everything. Um, so, you know, like a lot of people, both in, you know, in the United States and internationally, um, people were glued to, you know, CNN and watching John King touch that screen oh God. multiple best, times. Uh, I, I made a joke that it could be a great David Cronenberg uh, film, you know, with uh, him called Touchscreen, where he just touches his screen and like <laughs> man and technology kind of combined as one uh, in, yeah. in that kind of fashion. But yeah, it's it's been one of those things where it's like there hasn't been, you know, all, there's been movie news and, 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 and news that we would normally talk about, but not as much in a weekly or even bi-weekly manner that I don't think like, you know, We'll talk about all like, yeah, we'll talk about like Oscar Isaac, you know, joining, you know, Moon Knight and things like that. But there hasn't been anything that's been too big on the movie side of things, you know, in, in terms of like politics and life in general, things have kind of been, um, busy, especially, you know, with the election and, you know, the, the winter, you know, sort of coming in, although, you know, as again, we're recording this, it's been a lot warmer, you know, we've also been wanting to, um, 
take some time for self-care as well, which is important. Yeah. I mean, right now we're, I, you know, trying to get back into shape and get back into the swing of things. Yeah. And that, you know, the second wave of COVID has kind of arrived in and been here for a little while in Ontario. And luckily Durham region still not that bad, although we have, you know, 50 odd cases per day now instead of, you know, the three or four we were getting before. But yeah, I think that post TIFF fatigue actually, you know, almost lasted even longer this year where we were kind of talking right after the festival being like, oh, I don't know if we'll have it because, you know, the festival was so different and we watched a lot of stuff at home. But um, I feel like, yeah, just for our mental health, like we were still put like watching movies and, and, and reviewing stuff, but it was just one of those things where it was a little tougher to, you know, set aside the time for, I mean, we talk regularly anyway and we, and things like that, but it was just, you know, I think we are taking time or we were taking time to, you know, try to reset and kind of uh, get prepared for a long winter and just kind of, um, like you said, we're both after eight months of this kind of, you know, stay at home kind of orders that we've been kind of abiding to. It's, I, I realized I need to get, you know, eat healthier, be, get some more exercise, things like that. So we were taking a little bit of time to kind of, you know, get that. I, I'm, happy to say a week in now of I'm calling it the hundred days of Matt. Cause it was a hundred days from November 1st to my 32nd birthday. Um, exactly a hundred days. So I'm trying to take a hundred days to just, you know, be very strict with myself and try to, you know, still have the things I enjoy, but like, you know, cut out like unnecessary snacking and junk foods and, and eat a little bit better and try to get a little bit more exercise and went for a hike today. Um, trying to have, you know, uh, we talk, we joke a lot on this show and other shows that like, you know, I'm the trash King, like we eat garbage food and uh, it, that's funny. And I do enjoy all that stuff, but, um, especially in this time where I'm not really leaving my house all that much, which I think is a good thing, but, um, still need to, you know, try to be a little bit healthier. And, and I think everyone, uh, could benefit from that, but by all means, every two weeks, I'm going to go ham and just get like Arby's or McDonald's or Taco Bell or something or a pizza and just like treat myself. So it's like a goal that I reach being like, okay, if you ate really well for two weeks in a row, uh, treat yourself to one day. And I don't know. I think that's what I've been focusing on right now. Really. I still been watching stuff though. I don't know. You you finished your documentary kind of. Oh boy, I sure thing. did. And I've been inspired a little bit as well by you where like I've been eating a lot healthier in the last couple of weeks now where like I've been like eating more salads and green things and yeah, oatmeal yeah. and and you know drinking more tea and water and then also like in the morning I've been I mean the 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 last few days have been stressful but um yes you know it was the worst week to start start this, right really. but but at the same time again like I mean anything that I would be stress eating would be like a rice cake or something like that so like I was trying to be really like disciplined in that way so and like in the morning you know doing some stretching and you know a few uh sit-ups and push-ups and and you know burpees and things like that and like adding a couple each day to you know the, yeah, the that's to good them, dude you know? i mean but slow and steady i'm not thing. i'm not trying to not trying to like you know get ready for the olympics or anything no i'm same i mean for me working out is the, the thing that's been the hardest to kind of um find the time for especially this week with it being stressful with the election and just watching that every night i i, I got up once <laughs> and worked out and then i was sore for three days and then i was like went for a hike today and you know trying to get a little bit more 
outdoorsy at before the we had gorgeous weather it was like 20 degrees celsius today in durham region which was nuts i went for a hike in shorts and i had a sweater on but um global warming is not real yeah i know you know thank god we have someone who believes in that in the u.s now um so yeah i mean i think that's what i'm i we do a lot of sitting and watching movies at home so it's just trying to find that spare time to you know, work out a little bit. And I'm trying to do the same thing. I want to get into a routine of, you know, maybe doing the you know, switch. I think it's called switch fit adventure I have for my Nintendo switch, which is fun, but it's, it's a hell of a workout too. I just need to get into a routine. I'm not a morning person, Eric, not really. Like I do get up early sometimes, but like, especially on the weekdays, cause I got to start work at, you know, 9am even from working from home, but, um, which should make it easier. Cause I could like work out from, you know, eight till 9am and then just kind of start working right after that. But it's just training my body, especially with the time change with everything that was going on this week. It was like training my body to get up that a little bit earlier and get those workouts done before, uh, work was difficult, but at least I've been sticking to the eating part. And, um, I think it's just one step at a time. Cause if you overwhelm yourself, I feel like that's when you start to break down and, and, you know, give up on it. So like, for me, it's like, okay, if you fuck up here or there, I didn't work out that much this week, but at least I stuck to the diet thing. And I'm not saying dieting either. Cause I don't, I'm just trying to eat better and just eat more at home. Cause my kryptonite is fast foods. As, as anyone who's listens to this show probably knows, like my whole life, my kryptonite has been fast food. I just like convenient shitty food. And, uh, so just trying to eat a lot of protein and, uh, and vegetables really. But anyways, that's the Matt and Eric update for what the fuck we've been doing (laughs) over the last little while. Uh, but getting into like, uh, movies, I mean, you've been watching a lot of docs, uh, your jury thing is, is done, but yeah, we're uh, voting. Uh, tomorrow's the deadline for the final vote and, and just picking, um, uh, what we want for like each category. So regular voting now is, is open to everybody. Um, so I'll be doing that, uh, later today or, or tomorrow morning before the deadline. Um, it's, it's been one of those things where it's like, literally I've gone from one, you know, subject to another, whether it be, you know, uh, America and Russia's relationship with hockey in the early nineties to, you know, seniors homes in Florida and, you know, like Jimmy Carter and, you know, what went on in the middle East and and things like that in the 1980s. So it's, it's been a little bit of everything and there's been some really good stuff. I mean, a lot of it was was stuff that I actually already saw at TIFF, so I had at least a bit of a head start in terms of certain movies I had already seen. But then you you know you catch up on stuff that either um, you know you miss throughout the the calendar year or hasn't come out yet, or movies that might not open until the beginning of next year, like. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff right now, like on Netflix as well. Like Netflix seemed to have uh, quite a bit in terms of you know what they what you would expect from like a a, a mainstream service or streaming service. Uh, Dick Johnson is dead, being one of uh, the big ones, and you know there was a couple from uh, Neon. There's a movie about a uh, pig that's shot in black and white called Gunda, um, which I really really liked quite a bit. It's just you know watching uh farm uh life on this norwegian um uh sort of estate and sort of just watching pigs and chickens and specifically this um mother pig and piglets kind of walking around on this farm and um you know it doesn't really have any uh sort of 
additional um, voiceover or anything. It's it's there's a score, but it's all shot in kind of this kind of cinema verite, but with you know animals instead of people, and just observing like how you know um, quote unquote human animals can be, or or you know being aware of what's going on around them. And the last scene in that movie is is quite devastating. So yeah, there's 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 a ton of of, of really good stuff. I mean, I mentioned before like you know movies like Time, which is on Amazon Prime right now, which you can check out. Dick Johnson is dead. Um, you know, one movie that didn't get submitted for um, uh, awards consideration, which I keep talking about, is the the Ross Brothers film, um, Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, which for me, I think is my favorite documentary uh, of this year. And I keep recommending it to people. Um, and I will continue to recommend it to people because I think it is one of the uh, – best examples of why I love documentaries and documentaries don't necessarily need to be, you know, just talking head, uh, you know, interviews or, you know, recreations of crime scenes. They can just be, you know, a hangout, you know, living in the moment day to day kind of thing. And that's what uh bloody nose, empty pockets is. So. Yeah. I, um, I'm glad that's over with for you, <laughs> but um, I think I grew like four. Like, I think I've aged like four years in the last, because we, we started, I started getting screener links in August, September. Um, and like literally about half of them came in during TIFF. So like right after TIFF, right. I kind of went right into and- just watching docs all the time. And you take this shit seriously, and I know I try that. to see as much yeah, as I can. You. Yeah. I know, so you just you, you never stopped. Um, for me, and you were in the same boat because we can kind of pivot over to this um, since we haven't recorded, you know, since the beginning of October. I think both of us did a lot of you know horror movie in October watching um, last month. So, like for me, it was uh, going through the Conjuring universe, uh, the Cuckoo. Um, uh, uh, the kind of funny guys have been doing conjuring and review over um, October and leading into the beginning of November now. So, um, and I'd really only seen the first conjuring and the second Annabelle because we went to Cineplex Oshawa to go see Annabelle creation. And those were the only two I'd seen. So made my way through the cuckoo. I still got um, uh, the curse of La Llorona and Annabelle comes home to watch, which I will probably watch both of those this week. Um, I, I mostly enjoyed them. They were like fun October watches. Some of them are real bad. The first Annabelle is terrible. Um, Annabelle creation still pretty solid. First conjuring pretty solid. Second conjuring didn't care for way too long. Um, I actually weirdly kind of liked the nun. Um, even though it's not very scary and it doesn't even feel like it's really part of that universe. It feels like a different thing where they just like, Hey, we could just make this the nun and then it could be tied into the conjuring, which is how they tie every conjuring movie into one another. It just feels like, why don't we just slap a thing on the end that kind of retcons what happened before? Okay, cool. That's how it all ties back together. So like I, I compare it to fast and the furious where it's like, it's real dumb, but like it's kind of, I think they're better when you watch them back to back to back to back. Like the nun, if I would have just seen randomly, like, you know, four years after I saw another conjuring movie or conjuring two or whatever, or however long it took, maybe a year or two. And, um, I probably would have just been like, Oh, that was 
not great, but I think watching them all in October and back to back to back, um, I've enjoyed most of them other than the, you know, the first Annabelle and, uh, and the, uh, a lot of conjuring too, but, um, having my, having fun going through those, uh, we watched a bunch of stuff on your, um, on your birthday, you came yes. over, uh, we watched, uh, night of the creeps, uh, fright night and the fly. Um, so first time, first time watches for all three for me and three of your favorites or, or yeah, some especially of growing favorites. up as a, as a kid. I mean, I've talked about the fly a couple of times on the podcast um, yeah. and being traumatized by it and watching it at a, a, at a very young age. But I was, I was talking to you the last time, um, I was at your place and I think I found your, your, your sub genre within, yeah. uh, the horror, uh, genre to, uh, to quote the great late, uh, Alex Trebek. Um, is horror comedy because I mean, you really love films like the guest and cabin in the woods. And you really, really took to both uh night of the creeps and monster squad, which are both Fred Decker movies. So you kind of have like this, you know, this, this interest in sort of, sort of mixing the macabre and sort of Gothic, but with a little bit of comedy and sort of wearing its heart on its sleeve, so to speak. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I love, each movie you just referenced there and uh, um, really loved night of the creeps really loved uh, monster squad. Um, obviously I rewatched the guest. I showed it to my, uh, to my sister um, uh, Nevis Nevis and I both love the guest. So on Halloween night, um, my sister was like, Oh, why don't we watch a, like a movie that takes place on Halloween? And I was like, we got to watch the guest, even though it's not really a horror movie, but like it is in that genre space and it is taking tropes, I think from, you know, obviously, like Halloween slasher movies and stuff like that. Well, Halloween kinda, three specifically, like well, at the yeah. end, there's those, the, the masks from Halloween I, three. And I love Halloween three too, man. Like I, I, I Halloween Tom, 3 Atkins, gets a bad Tom Atkins is your new hero between night yeah. of the night of the creeps and uh, Halloween three. Halloween three gets a bad rap, I think, but I think it is a cult favorite. Right. But I think a lot mm. of people didn't like it at the time. Cause it just, because felt, it doesn't have Mike you know, Myers yeah, and like everybody exactly. was confused that what that series was, was going to be originally was that after Halloween two, it was going to be an anthology kind of, of horror just series. things that take place on Halloween. Right. Yeah. 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 Which I would have loved. And I, I would love to see them kind of go back to that premise maybe after Halloween kills and, and Halloween ends. But um, yeah, I absolutely loved night of the creeps and, um, and monster squad thought they were a blast. Um, really dug um uh the fly it's gross and and slimy and um uh jeff goldblum is great in it and uh i'm glad i finally got around to seeing it and getting to um, see toronto in the 80s you know yeah you would love to see it man um fright night really enjoyed um but probably the the least of the three um i, I still dug the movie but um it wasn't necessarily like um i think you might like the remake more um yeah i'd be curious to watch it i was gonna pitch that when we were at uh our buddy mike's the other day because i are i i would like to compare them now right yeah. now that i have the context of the first one because i i remember working at the cinema when the second one or the remake came out, which is 2000. I was going to say the second one, Fright Night Nine? 2, was released right. in 91 yeah. or 92. It's like, you weren't working yeah. <laughs> at the theater then. You were only a baby. Um, but no, uh, and then I also watched The Haunting of Bly Manor. Um, did you watch it yet, Eric? I have not. No, I, oh, okay. it's, I've been watching a lot of horror movies. Like, so what I would be doing throughout October 
I would be rotating between documentary and horror film and just going back and forth. So like every couple documentaries I would watch, I would treat myself with a horror movie. And a lot of it was stuff that I had already watched, but right. Comfort food, kind comfort of stuff. food. And I really liked, um, the, the first season, Mike Flanagan's first season, again, talking about like, you know, taking the same actors, but making it an anthology. And I know Ryan Murphy's done the same thing with, you know, American horror story yeah. and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I'm 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 going to catch up with it at some point. It's just like one of those things where I just had so much to do in October, and I just didn't want to commit to a series. And I, I had to watch Dracula 2000 again, Matt. You know, with Gerard Butler, that was priority number one. Um, yeah, I really loved the first season as well, even though I didn't finish it, uh, which is weird. And then I only kind of dug this season, but finished the whole thing, but, um, watched every episode again. My sister uh, loved the first season. So it was like a nightly thing with Nevis and my sister, um, uh, to watch, you know, two or three episodes of blind manor. Um, I think I liked the first six or so episodes quite a bit. And then I feel like it completely shits the bed in the last three, uh, two or three episodes. I think the ending is horrible. The last episode, the last two episodes I think are awful. Um, and I feel like it kind of like completely loses everything it built up in those first six episodes and, um, just felt some of the emotional stuff didn't really work. I found it kind of corny at the end and, um, just felt like it was trying too hard to be something, a little bit more than just your classic like haunted house um, kind of story. And I'm not saying that's what I wanted, but like the first season had a lot of, you know, emotion and uh, the family dynamic and, and had that heart to it where this one I think is trying to do that. But like the way that it all kind of plays out and especially in those last couple episodes, like I like what it's trying to do. I just don't think it executes it very, very well. Like I, I think everyone's pretty solid in it. I love, it's not that scary, but um, in both the first season and this one, like they do atmospheric kind of build up and the hidden ghosts in the background. And it's just got this overall creepiness to it all. Like, I don't think there's anything like super, super terrifying. And the more you see of the ghosts and what's happening, the less scary it is, but that's with, you know, anything. Um, so yeah, I, I, it, I always love looking in the background and trying to find that, you know, the creepy fucking ghost that's just there. And I love that kind of stuff in, in building atmosphere and just kind of letting it play out in this, you know, gothic kind of horror. Um, I thought Ra- Rahul Kohli's mustache is incredible in the series. Um, shout out, special shout out to his mustache. But I thought everyone was good. It just, to me, lost me in those last couple episodes. And I kind of wished Mike Flanagan directed all of the episodes like he did in the first season. He directed all of the first season, right? I think so. Yeah. 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 So he only directs the pilot or not the pilot, the first episode of this season. And then there's different writers and different directors. And he's just kind of the showrunner and producer. Well, that's also probably because of Doctor Doctor Sleep. And then he has another show on Netflix called Midnight Mass. Which has all the same cast essentially again, right? Yeah, and and that I don't know when it's supposed to be released, but it probably will be maybe the first quarter of twenty twenty one. So he was working on that. So I'm I'm assuming at this point he was kind of thinking like, well, you know, like this show is kind of up and running at this point, and we can kind of you know go from there. But it is also interesting that like this is a year where we've gotten two Henry James adaptations with 
that and uh, oh, the, the turning, turning, which was terrible. Same story, right? Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, the best version I still think is the the Innocence from the 1940s. And, you know, like it's it's dated, it's of its time, but I still think it has an effective kind of mood and quality to what Henry James was kind of putting together with that story and psychologically speaking, where I feel with, I mean, again, I haven't seen Blythe Manor, but with the turning, like it kind of playing with that and kind of playing with the twists of, of that genre. Um, it doesn't work as well. And the same thing with the, you know, the haunting, um, the Jean de Bont movie with, uh, Liam Neeson and Catherine Zeta Jones, which I also watched, uh, last the same month. story again. Yeah. Yeah. And it's based on, on, henry james's other stories didn't know yeah um yeah i again it i think it's okay i ended up giving it like a three star on letterbox like it 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 was fine i just feel like it kind of shits the bed in that those last couple episodes um keeping in the horror realm i watched host which i thought was quite effective i thought it was a fun little um innovative you know pandemic horror movie um that uses you know the concept of it being a zoom call pretty well um thought it the had screen good- life genre is what it's kind yeah. of been called with movies okay. like unfriended like searching, and, searching yeah. and things like that yeah yeah and um I, I think like i think i like searching um probably more but i thought this was pretty effective um for what it is it's like an hour long so you love to see it automatic one star bump and like it's uh got some good jump scares at the end and it gets a little creepy like i I was into it it was a a perfect halloween movie so um watch that in the lead up as well as uh, we watched slither as well at um speaking of night of the creeps and and kind of following that but, up but wait wait um, james gunn hasn't, hasn't seen him, night of the creeps <laughs> yeah i i find that hard to believe maybe for legal reasons he says that but but why um, i don't like understand like i mean he's he's also ripping off not ripping off but he's paying homage to um the blob and david cronenberg slither is uh, not slither uh, shivers as well uh, they come from within so it's not like you know him referencing night of the creeps or, or saying that like specifically with the slugs, um, I I don't see a problem there legally. Like, like, yeah, I don't know maybe, but it is very similar. And like, I enjoyed both movies. I think I like night of the creeps, um, quite a bit more, but, um, I thought slither was fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, within that realm of horror comedy, kind of just gross and slimy and, and nice to see like James Gunn, who kind of, you know, has that trauma background. And I mean, Lloyd Kaufman has a, a really small little cameo in in the at the police station, but like him kind of playing to his strengths. I think I think between Slither and Super, like when James Gunn gets gory, it it's fun and gross and weird. And it's just enjoyable to see a lot of the because it was also shot in Vancouver um slither um to see a lot of the people that he's been working with since for his whole career career yeah. with you know Michael Rooker Nathan Fillion Elizabeth Banks you know people kind of popping up again and again and um that's his wheelhouse i think that's his best i love guardians of the galaxy the first movie specifically but like it is just nice to see him do that and i'm kind of hoping that like suicide squad or the suicide squad I feel will like have it will. some yeah. of that in there i mean especially with because scene it's an r-rated comedy like uh, like yeah i feel like he'll be able to let loose like he 
kind of did with those first couple movies because DC's kind of given their filmmakers, you know, the freedom to do whatever the fuck they want kind of thing lately. So, um, yeah, it makes me kind of excited for the suicide squad. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I love super as well. And, and, um, I've liked following his career and it, it's, it's so interesting. And, um, I, I agree that I love seeing those people pop up and seeing, you know, Nathan Fillion's going to be in, uh, the suicide squad. And I know he did like a voice in guardians, uh, in, in the first one, right. Uh, quickly, yeah. And Michael but, Rooker as well. Um, right. So. Yeah. <laughs> With that hair. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> um, and then finally my October watch, uh, Nevis hadn't seen any of the Spider-Man movies other than the MCU ones. So we watched, all of the Tobey Maguire ones. Then we watched the two Andrew Garfield ones. And then we watched Venom the other night. So um, made our way through the Spidey universe. I mean, our last episode, we talked about Jamie Foxx, you know, coming back and as Electro in, in the new Spider-Man movie, which they're shooting right now. So I think that kind of um, triggered, you know, I we were watching them already, but then I, we were only going to watch the Tobey Maguire ones. And now with the Jamie Foxx news, I'm like, okay, Nevis, let's watch the Andrew Garfield ones because you hadn't seen them. And maybe this is all going to kind of, you know, come back into play sort of in the, in the movies we actually care about. So, um, we watched all of them and then we even watched Venom the other night and, um, uh, the McGuire movie, the Sam Raimi movies are great. Especially part two. Part two is, I still think incredible. Um, and I think people who look back on that and be like, Oh, it's not actually good or it doesn't hold up. I'm like, you're wrong. It is great. Um, three is still pretty bad. Um, the Garfield movies, I also think kind of get a bad rap, but like, they're not very good. It's just that I feel like they're kind of pointless. Like, and I, I guess think, I, I honestly think Garf, uh, Andrew Garfield is miscast, um, as Spider-Man. Like to me, he kind of has more of a, um, an energy of, of Harry Osborn than, than Spider-Man, you know, like I he's just too yeah, cool for school for my liking. I don't disagree with that. I um I think I like him as Spider-Man but don't like him as Peter Parker. Like when he's in the costume and he's just making quips as he's fighting bad guys and stuff like that, I actually think he does a, a pretty good job, but it's when he's Peter Parker, I'm like you are not a good Peter Parker at all. They made Peter yeah. Parker like I'm like you're cool. not just a, not a like, good I, Peter Parker, he's just not a good person. Like he's kind of an yes. asshole. I agree. And he's like almost too cool, right? Like he's, he wouldn't be a nerdy kid that you'd make fun of at school. He'd be kind of like the, the kind of smug asshole kid like that. And he doesn't uh, feel so- like he puts that, that weight on his shoulders that Peter Parker does. That is like the, the expectations that Peter puts on himself are, are impossible to meet because he feels that he, you know, has to be not only, you know, the, the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, but the, the example of all that's decent. And he puts this added pressure onto himself that just is incredible to kind of just think of like, how are you even going to meet this? But I love that he's always trying to be the best version of himself, even as Peter and try to be a good person where I never got that with Garfield. Garfield to me always kind of felt like, as you mentioned, he's smug, he's cocky. He's kind of like, he's almost like a brooding bad boy in the way that like Luke Perry was on like, you know, Beverly Hills 90210 and not playing (laughs) him as kind of dorky and, 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 and sincere. And I get why they maybe pivoted after the Ram- Raimi movies to try and do something a little bit different. Because well, it, it was so, it was all about was Bat- so Batman kind after, of had yeah. that impact on all comic book movies after that. Because with the reboot of Batman Begins, 
all superhero films had to be dark, right? Yeah, like that was, yeah. it's like, we have to be dark and brooding like Batman to get an audience because, you know, when they rebooted, um, you know, Superman with, with, with the Brian Singer movie, it, it was kind of like that showed studios that you can't do kind of light and fun anymore in the way that like the original Superman movies were made in the 1970s because people's tastes had changed. Everybody wanted to see something darker and more grounded Serious, in reality, yeah. but it does, that doesn't work for every superhero. No. And it didn't work I, for amazing Spider-Man. I agree. Like, I don't think that they're horrible movies. I actually, um, I actually kind of both times I've watched it recently enjoyed Spider-Man, amazing Spider-Man two more than amazing Spider-Man one, but um, neither movie is, is overly great. I just, uh, I do think that Garfield doesn't really work um, as Peter Parker and, um, or even the way that they portray that character and uh, Electro is kind of a little all over the place, obviously. And even uh, rice Iphens in the, in the Reese first Fons. one, Reese Fons, Reese Fins um in the first one as lizard i don't know like it i don't know i still i've gone back to them each time i've gone through the spider-man franchise but they're they're the ones that i feel like everyone will just forget unless you know it all comes full circle and somehow gets involved in this uh mcu uh spider-man 3 but well even your your fawn con right like that was the other thing with with the with the amazing spider-man is that a lot of people talk like they never knew what they were doing or they because they they edited and changed certain Thing. So, like, Irfan Khan's character is actually killed by the lizard in a deleted scene. And so, like, the restructuring of that movie until it came out was it was it was completely cut and reshaped. And and I kind of felt that that like last act specifically was was jumbled because you had characters you know coming and going, disappearing, and and never being referenced again. And then in the second one, you kind of had you know this set up to what was going to be the sinister six. And so you had people like Paul Giamatti as Rhino and then, you know, Felicity <laughs> Jones, is, Felicity Jones is black cat. Who's yeah, in which one just kind of disappears. Teams. Yeah. And, and then kind of disappears. And then like, Cole so Fior as well as, yeah. as, 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 uh, Andre Toombs, right. He was, he was Toombs in that, wasn't he? Adrian Toombs. Was Adrian he? Toombs. Yeah. I thought was he was. He? Or maybe it was rumored, but like he was oh, supposed maybe, to be yeah. somebody in 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 the universe that would become something later on, and then Chris Cooper as well, right? So. Yeah, yeah. And then even um, uh, what's his name? Uh, B.J. Novak um, also is. Uh, I think Oliver Smythe is the character's name who ends up being like a villain later too in the comics. And is stuff he the like guy that, that is or? like like turns kind of um, like brownish and he has like the kind of like the things coming out of the back yeah, of his maybe um, like a shoulders. Space. Yeah, I think so or something like that. I don't know exactly, but um yeah, they're kind of all over the place, but it'll be interesting to see how they play with that with Electro coming back. So, I don't know. And then Venom, oh man, I haven't watched it since our trip, our infamous trip to New York for your 30th birthday um where I had I got, a great like, time watching the- it with you. Not the film so much. I agree with that. Um, had we went to Draft House and watched that movie, I, I think we did a whole episode on that. And I had the worst. Later in that trip was the sickest I've ever been in my life. I don't know. I you were. I, like, it was bad. Like it you was were like, bad. I remember like we had to leave the hotel that we were at. We tried early. to get home earlier, right? Because we were going to stay another uh, longer, right? But- well, we yeah, we had we had one more movie because we were going to see the Orson Welles uh, film, and then oh, fuck, we were yeah. gonna I- we were gonna head home after that. And literally, we were after we 
left the hotel, we were Starbucks hopping. So we would go from one Starbucks to another and find I remember the I was like place out. in yeah. that in that Starbucks and sit there. And you just looked like you were not only sick, but like in agony physically, like in, in pain. And then that I was just thinking work, to myself dude. the whole time, we still have the like eight hour 11, bus <laughs> 11 hour bus ride. And it was the worst dude. Like I remember going to see the Coen brothers movie at the New York film festival. Um, uh, and just, I had to keep leaving and going to the bathroom to get more water. And I was just shivering and like, uh, had a fever and, um, and it was just, it was miserable, but then venom, you know, maybe that was, uh, you know, maybe I had a symbiote. Um, anyways, yeah. Venom, weirdly like watching it at home it's it's funny like i feel like it goes back and forth been like there could have been something here that could have been fun um but it's totally all over the place and uh again just feels like a movie where they didn't quite know what they wanted from it and um the di- some of the dialogue is awful I'm and sorry um, about venom yeah it's just it just doesn't feel weird. I'm like, what is um, Riz Ahmed's motivations? Like, what is happening? What is Venom's motivations? He's like, he was a loser on his planet. And I, I don't know. Like, I like the design of Venom. I like the look and sound. Um, I even like the back and forth between Eddie Brock and Venom as he's kind of, uh, you know, has the symbiote in him. But um, it just, it's so all over the place and the action's not super great. But um, I don't know. I'm so. I flip flop on it going, Oh, this isn't so bad. And I go, Oh wait, no, this is real bad. <laughs> like, And then even Nevis thought the same. She was like, this movie's not that bad. Like in the first, you know, act or so. And then as it kept going on, she's like, what the fuck? What was that? Like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's the dialogue's real awful or it doesn't make any sense. Or, um, it just flip flops all over the place. So I don't know. I'm curious to see how Sony kind of, you know, ties all this stuff together and, and combines their universe in the MCU and, and, and things like that, because I would really love to see, you know, that, that storyline done with the Tom Holland, uh, Spider-Man, I think, uh, uh, the black suit Spider-Man and, and having Venom involved could be really cool, especially cause it wasn't done super well in Spider-Man three, but I don't know, man. Yeah. I, 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 I do not like Venom at all. Um, the, I think the best thing I can give it in terms of a compliment is that, I mean, it's boring, but at least when it has a couple of moments of weirdness with like the Tom Hardy. The compliment I can give it is that it's boring. <laughs> it's boring, but well, for like the, the, I know, the generic yeah, action stuff, like, yeah. a, you know, the third act fight and stuff like that. But there are a couple moments of weirdness where like yeah. Tom Hardy hops into a lobster tank and things like that. And it kind of feels like that was almost. Tots. Yeah, like that was almost like hardy's doing just to entertain himself on set because you can kind of tell that he's into it but at the same time the material really isn't giving him much to do so it's kind of like well how do i entertain myself for you know uh four or five months of shooting this crap um and then yeah once we get to the third act and we're on the the rocket ship it just kind of feels like okay we've been here a million times before so i am curious to see what andy circus will do with the sequel and if it'll be it's got to go up like there's no way that it could be worse than, <laughs> yeah. than venom like it literally like you have to do better than that and there's a lot of there's so many talented people both in front and behind the camera like Matthew Lipatique shot the first one yeah. and now you have Robert Richardson Robert Rich- shooting Robert part Richardson. 2 Richardson that is wild yeah. like, at, like 
and Andy Circus, I like Andy Circus a lot too. So like, I'm I'm so curious, man. And yeah, like you said, the cast is actually a lot of really great actors, and um, it's just I don't think Ruben Fleischer is is a great director, which makes me terrified for the Uncharted movie. But he might be perfectly generic enough for the Uncharted movie. But like, um, I don't know, man. Like, I yeah, I think Circus is a step up, and um. I don't know. I I'm, I'm curious. I am morbidly curious to see. And like, it seems like they changed the wig on Woody Harrelson, which is good, but right. But um, I mean, that's, I think that's probably the one thing I am excited for is just to see how hammy Woody Harrelson will get in that role as carnage. Um, but yeah, like I was just thinking about like, we still have the Morbius movie. <laughs> yeah, I know. Does anyone want that? And then that, I think that will be the first thing that teases what, you know, Spider-Man three is going to be, cause there's, you know, uh, Michael Keaton's in that movie who knows for how long could just be a cameo. Um, and, uh, there's that, you know, mural on the wall with the Sam Raimi Spider-Man suit. Right. So I keep going back to that and I my brain keeps, that's the only thing I'm like curious about with Morbius. Cause I could not care less about Jared Leto and I could not care less about Morbius right now, but, um, we shall see. What else have you been watching? Um, well, I've been talking. watching a lot of horror movies, but uh, as I mentioned, I, I've been watching some docs. Um, a doc that I would recommend to you and anybody that is a uh, Hamilton fan is a documentary called We Are Freestyle Love Supreme, which is uh, essentially Lin-Manuel Miranda and others who have either you know appeared in who are, or have been a part of either In the Heights or Hamilton kind of getting their start in the early 2000s and coming up in college and kind of, you know, working as like freestyle hip hop artists and sort of playing with uh, the format and kind of writing to, you know, almost like improv um, style and sort of creating this, this, um, this group out of it. And watching the the film because it's kind of the framing devices that they're coming back together after the success of Hamilton and in the Heights. And it's kind of like a, a one, two week kind of show uh, back in New York. And you kind of see how their lives have changed and how, you know, what, what success means to them. And, and then there's footage of when they were, you know, like, first kind of getting started and like doing a tour in, you know, Scotland and going to a fringe festival and how much has changed since, you know, 2005, 2006. And it's just kind of interesting to see that dynamic and how like Lin-Manuel Miranda was, you know, working on in the Heights at that point. And it goes into him kind of working on uh, Hamilton as well. So it's one of those documentaries that's, it's, it's fairly, it, it kind of feels like almost like a footnote to Hamilton, but it's also nice to know, where that kind of was beginning and the process of that and just kind of the genre or subgenre of music that they're kind of they're they're playing with and and it's fun to kind of watch them you know all on stage and kind of interact with the audience because it's very much a, a you know a almost like a weirdly like a whose line is it anyways but with you know like with hip-hop and and so it's kind of fun to see like you know them take somebody from the crowd and you know talk to them and interact with them and ask them questions and then take those, you know, those details and then kind of work in a verse or a storyline that's told through, you know, the, the, the song or the speaking through, uh, you know, verse. And, and it's kind of interesting just kind of getting that background. So if anybody has, I I don't know if it's available in Canada because it's on Hulu in the U S it's definitely worth uh, checking out. Then as you mentioned, you know, being October, I've I've been watching a lot of uh a lot of shitty 
um, sequels and franchises to movies. So I had never seen, I'd seen the first one, um, Children of, of the Corn, um, based on the Stephen King um, uh, novel, but I had never really seen the sequels, or at least I, I thought I had seen them, but then watching them, um, at least the first few of them, I was like, yeah, I had never seen these movies and all of them are terrible. And it's so it's strange because this is one of the longest running franchises next to Friday the 13th. And watching these films, I was thinking, who are these made for and how have they kept going for so long? They were with they they were with Dimension and Miramax for for a time, but basically what they are is that kids in the small sort of, you know, southern town become possessed and basically try to kill the parents and the adults of the community. And each movie kind of does the same thing, but there's no real horror villain. They mention the man who walks behind the, the, the row. Um, but they never really kind of get into the specifics of like creating like a Jason or Freddy type. Uh, there's a lot of actors that kind of got their start because a lot of them were direct to video movies and kind of casting younger actors. So like in the third one called children of the corn three urban harvest, where they go to uh, <laughs> Chicago, uh, oh, Charlie Theron is in the third act as an extra and you can see her in a couple of shots. And then part really? four Interesting. Um, stars uh, Naomi Watts in one of her first leading roles. And then in the, uh, in I believe I'm looking at this now. I'm just looking at the titles because they get really interesting as you go along. Uh, so the one with Charlie Theron is uh, Urban Harvest. The one with Naomi Watts is Children of the Corn, The Gathering. And then Children of the Corn, Fields of Terror features Eva Mendez in her first role. And then after that, there's another six or seven of these movies. So I kind of tapped out at four. Um, I also watched some of the Final Destination movies, which I had seen before. Um, a couple of them are really, really dated and yeah, kind of do offensive. Yeah, they hold up? No, no, yeah, no, they, no. The first one, I, I like the concept because the guys who created it um, were – they wrote it as an X-Files episode. and oh, that really? was supposed, Yeah, and that was supposed to kind of be like a, an episode where, you know, somebody cheats death and then death kind of, you know, by design comes back to haunt – this person. And so they rewrote it as like a teen slasher flick, but I feel like the I'd really like, I feel like I would really like the X files and I should probably watch it. It's on Amazon, man. It's on Amazon right now. Yeah. I, I think you would as well. I, I think there, uh, I have this love hate relationship with the X files where like, I love the idea of the monster of the week kind of thing, but I'm not the biggest fan of like the connecting arc with the conspiracy stuff and the alien stuff. And it's also just really frustrating because ultimately Mulder and Scully never solve anything. Right. Like they just, they never, like nothing is ever resolved. And they're not always looking for like, you know, a finite conclusion in them. But you want like some saving sort of the day. Yeah. But yeah. But like literally every episode is like Mulder and Scully fighting, like Mulder being like, everything is a conspiracy or there's some sort of supernatural element to the story. And then Scully's like, Mulder, you're full of shit. And then usually like by the end of the, the episode, it's like, okay, nothing, nothing happened. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, but again, like mood and atmosphere and, and things like that, it's, it's kind of fun. I think the first 
five or six seasons are interesting because they shot in Vancouver. Um, and a lot of the crew that would shoot on that went on to shoot um, Supernatural. So like Kim Manners, who passed away halfway through the making of Supernatural, was uh, a, a main sort of stay on both uh, as an executive producer and, and part-time showrunner. So you know, like you can, you can see a lot of that. And like you, like even like Buffy actors pop up in, in, um, Supernatural and, and the X-Files as well, which is kind of interesting, um, in terms of genre shows, but yeah. So like watching a lot of the final destination movies, like, again, it's interesting to see like Mary Elizabeth Winstead was in part three and she was the lead in that. Right, and, right, and, right, right. And part four and five, like they kind of play up the gimmick of 3d because this was like post avatar. Oh, yeah, so that was kind of them reviving it. But there's a lot of stuff that's problematic with like a white supremacist character. Cause there's like this one scene that takes place uh, at a NASCAR event and yeah, sort of yeah. where that goes and stuff like that. Um, I'm just looking at what else I watched. I watched or rewatched, the uh, I Still Know What You Did Last Summer movies, one and two, which I was also surprised because I hadn't watched them since I was a teen, um, that there's a lot of actors in part two, um, like Jack Black, Jeffrey Combs, Mackay Pfeiffer, uh, Jennifer Esposito, Bill Cobbs, John Hawks, all in this movie. Like it's, wow. it's amazing to watch. Like I haven't these watched actors it since I was a teenager up. either. Yeah. And they're, they're not great films. Uh, they, they're I, again, like there's this interesting kind of in the nineties and it's because of scream. There was this sort of revised interest in the slasher genre, but using kind of a meta edge to it. So after the Friday, the 13th movies and nightmare on Elm street films kind of, you know, came and went and left with the eighties and a lot of people were burnt out. Like there wasn't really a lot of horror films in that kind of vein where like you would make them like, you know, you would shoot one and then, you know, if it was a success, you would make another one before the end of the the year and release it for the following Halloween. So with scream, you know, being this meta horror film, it kind of revitalized the genre specifically for teens, but also had like the, the quirky quality to it. So you had, I know what you did last summer. You had the urban legend movies as well coming yeah. out at the, the second half of the nineties. I, I think the first scream is the best, even though it is also kind of dated, but at the very least, it's just kind of interesting to see that trend in horror at that specific time and sort of how that kind of all played out. Um, and it was just, it was just kind of, I guess, a nostalgic watch going back and, and watching that stuff. And then I watched also a couple other Dark Castle movies with uh, House on Haunted Hill and House of Wax, which I think are the two best of the Dark Castle I releases. Think, did you talk about them last episode or no? I, I talked about Ghost Ship and 13 Right. Ghosts. Yeah. Okay. So you went and watched more. Okay. Yeah. 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 And then um, I rewatched The Exorcist, which, I mean, there's not a lot to say. It's, I think it's amazing masterpiece one of the best horror movies ever made. And I also mentioned, I watched Dracula 2000, which is a piece of shit. And Jared <laughs> Butler plays the titular Dracula 2000. Oh my God. But he knows also in Dracula 2000 vitamin C. Really? Oh yeah. Okay. All right. I don't think I've ever seen it and probably will never watch it. Um, you got it. You got to watch it just for the scenes with Gerard. But so, so <laughs> amazingly Christopher Plummer plays Van Helsing in that movie. And he takes leeches that have sucked off of Dracula and takes the blood of the leeches and injects it in himself. So he can be, so he can super live Van longer. Helsing. Yeah. Super Van Helsing. But Gerard Butler, like literally 
his Scottish accent is so thick. So they just were like, you know what? We're not going to have Jared Butler talk too much. So we'll just have him kind of be almost like the Terminator where he's just kind of menacing looking, but he looks like Fabio or something like that. Cause his hair is like so long and like lush and like the windswept kind of thing going on. And then the last act takes place on the top of a, uh, a church and it's just, it, it's, it's really bad. And it like, it reeks of like, the early 2000s, like even the soundtrack specifically. Anything that puts 2000 in the title is going to be super dated for that time. Yeah. Like we'll never hold up. Blues uh, Brothers 2000, Dracula 2000. Godzilla 2000. Uh, what else has WrestleMania 2000? <laughs> I don't know. Um, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. October was fun. I mean, um, I still am going to watch a little bit of a horror moving into November. And then I'm sure I'll get into, you know, the holiday spirit as Nevis and Sarah are out buying um, Christmas decorations right now. Cause they're all into it already. The one thing about Canada, because um, Thanksgiving's in October in the States, I feel like at least you wait until American Thanksgiving before you start the holiday stuff. But here Halloween's over. It's, it's Christmas now. Even oh, though yeah. it's tw- even though it's twenty degrees out here today, but um, so I don't know. I'm I'm excited to kind of get into that holiday spirit. We'll have to hold hold up for the holidays, you know. We can't go anywhere anyway, so uh, hibernate for the winter. But um, f- moving on to staying at home. Any um over the last month, any uh, physical releases you want to? Oh, uh, there's recommend there's been a ton of stuff. I mean, whether. Just- it- Say some, I'm going to go get some water. So yeah, sure. So, you know, the back to the future trilogy was released on 4k, um, screen factory released, uh, the Friday, the 13th, uh, film series on a special collector's edition set. So, uh, the, all the Friday, the 13th movies are now available because there was a discontinued, um, steel tin that you could get beforehand but now they're they've been re-released with new special features and the features that were on the original discs have been imported over as well uh they're both really i would recommend both uh of them kind of picking them up you have um you know parasite on criterion which is you know at this point the the third release of that film but probably uh the best uh, you have Clint Eastwood's directorial debut from uh, Kino Lorber uh, getting a special edition, Play Misty for Me, which is uh, quite a good little movie. And um, na- and this week coming up, you have uh, The Office getting released on Blu-ray, uh, the Steve Carell series. Oh, really? Um, yeah, because they did, they did release – there was this weird point in like the mid-2000s where Blu-ray was starting to kind of – you know, take over and, and like after, you know, you had the, the Blu-ray HD war kind of thing, but a lot of war. Well, I mean, for like, like a split second, but what I'm trying to get at is that with you have, sorry, just topic. Were you always on the Blu-ray bandwagon or did you jump in? Because I waited until it was over to see who won because I, I didn't buy, I, I didn't buy, um, Blu-rays or HD, um, releases. DVDs because I was waiting to see who was going to be the format that came up on top. So I just waited until that was over to to pick a side because I Weirdly, just wanted to be I on think the winning team. The PlayStation is what kind of catapulted Blu-ray forward, I think, because Sony obviously owns Blu-ray. Uh, they included a Blu-ray player in the PlayStation Three. 
Um, even though the PlayStation three wasn't like super, 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 well, it ended up being pretty successful, but I feel like that's what kind of the PlayStation two, I feel like was everyone's DVD player. I remember that being such a huge deal yeah. that the, the, the PlayStation two was a DVD player that, and so if you had a PlayStation two, you had a DVD player and I've never weirdly as a movie guy, um, never have owned a DVD or Blu-ray player that wasn't a video game console. Interesting. <laughs> because because for me it was always or maybe I did if it was like in a second room or something but the my main one has always been a video game console cuz now you had a Blu-ray player included in PlayStation 3 which I think ultimately with Sony backing it and stuff like that is the thing that killed HD DVD and then um even with 4Ks, I had a Xbox One X, and now with the PlayStation 5 coming out this week, actually, so I'll talk about it on the next episode, my impressions of it, um, it has a 4K Blu-ray player, finally, because they didn't put a 4K Blu-ray in the PlayStation 4. Anyways, that's my tangent. Keep going. Yeah, so what I was getting at with 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 The Office is that in the early 2000s, after the, you know, quote-unquote, you know, new format wars... Um, a lot of uh, series, ongoing series at that point, HBO specifically. Um, so you would have like season five or six of The Sopranos and season four of Entourage, and they would get Blu-ray releases. And then everybody thought, okay, well, then what will happen is, you know, the once the series have ended. Um, you know, HBO or Universal, because the same thing happened with The Office, where the the later seasons were being released on Blu-ray because they were still on. So, like, you would have you know the, the season end at the end of the summer or fall, whenever it started, and then the Blu-ray would come out, you know, half a year later or right around the time the new season of the show was happening. So everybody thought, like, with those shows, that what they would do is they would you know have a back catalog and they would release them on Blu-ray afterwards but what ended up happening was at least for the sopranos and entourage um they just re-released like a whole box a blu-ray box set for each one they didn't release individual seasons for like seasons one through you know five so people could get individual seasons they just released you know seasons so if you bought season five and six of the sopranos on blu-ray and you wanted seasons one through four you also had to buy the box set which had seasons five and six in it the same thing with entourage and the office never did that but the office like had two or three of the later seasons on Blu-ray, and then they just never released any other seasons. So now it's all in one box set. That's so interesting releasing now where I feel like The Office is such a streaming show to most people, which is a lot of these sitcoms where they just, you know, put it on Netflix or, or whatever, um, uh, streaming service of their choice. Do you have to go do something or you're good? No, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> okay. I was just getting, I was just getting a wave that, 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 food will be here soon okay cool yeah yeah yeah. um so i just to me i don't know what the market i guess collectors and stuff still but like um to me it's like friends in the office and all those shows are just streaming shows for most people now and i don't know who would want be like oh i have to own this on blu-ray but well you um, you you nailed it it's collectors yeah yeah. but it's but there's this there's this weird obsessive compulsive behavior with collectors as well because like and I'm speaking from my personal perspective where like, you know, 
I don't feel like I own something when I, I mean, it's nice to have it available to stream on Netflix or Amazon prime or, you know, crave or whatever. But someone who wants to have, have it forever. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it feels like I actually own it. And like, it, I, I'm not just renting it, you know, so to speak. And like, that's why I like, and especially for the shows that you do love that you do watch over and over again, where, you know, like you feel like, Oh, okay. Like I, I would buy, you know, whenever Seinfeld gets released on Blu-ray or if it, if it does, I will buy the, series right. of that like that's just something i will oh, it's well, your favorite one of your yeah. favorite shows of all time right? and the same like, thing with like, the mandalorian like if the mandalorian comes out on 4k or blu-ray i'll, I'll pick up a a box set or season D- of it, D- so. disney would be smart to do that oh i didn't even talk about that i did watch the first two episodes of season two so i mean maybe we'll wait until you um you watch a few episodes and then we'll talk about it but yeah um i've enjoyed both episodes um uh do some cool aspect ratio changes in the first episode. Um, almost feels like they shot some of it on IMAX and they wanted to premiere it like the first episode in theaters. Like that's what it felt like um, with a big, big, big action set piece in that first episode. And then the second one um, again, they're ta- they're taking that approach of like, you know, the, adventure of the week kind of thing with like a loose not a loose but like a it's episodic it's very episodic and um i could see that being frustrating to some people who are so uh used to like very plot driven shows well especially Um, now right like television is like television used to be episodic like that's what i mean where i feel like people aren't used to this and that's why they're frustrated with it a little bit i think it's good i like it but it does feel like you said the golden age of the re the second golden age or whatever the fuck you want to call this, uh, this era of television is very uh, story driven and narrative driven and ha- like, they're almost like movies broken out into, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12 episodes where this does feel like that, you know, Western you know, monster of the week or uh, adventure of the week type show. And, um, I, I'm digging it, but I can go, man, you, you leave it on a cliffhanger in season two. You started to get back into the plot. And then I know you have the loose, the plot of, okay, he needs to return baby Yoda to his kind. That's the overall, you know, arc of the series. But then, uh, and he keeps getting side Mando keeps getting sidetracked, whether it's, he has to help. It's always, he has to help someone to get him a little, little farther on his journey. And that's how you get the, you know, uh, the adventure of the week kind of thing. And so I could see people after that first episode sort of really building even more plot stuff. And then the second episode feeling like a, a stalling point again, but it had some really cool moments and, um, I've been digging it. I mean, I love seeing that little fucker baby Yoda again. Um, I, it's just, it's a fun, it's, it's nice again this year, especially when we don't really have much content or new stuff. There's lots of TV, I guess, but, um, I'm thinking like big blockbuster, you know, star Wars, Marvel, you know, that kind of stuff that, um, it's nice that it's back and it's very comforting every Friday morning. I wake up early and I go watch it before work. So, uh, I'm pretty psyched that it's back, but I am excited for you to kind of like we did last year, you know, catch up and we'll talk about it week to week as we do these shows. Yeah. It seems like they are like, I mean, at least with the first season, by the end of it, they were really doubling down on the lone wolf and cub kind of, yeah, you know, that's comparisons. Exactly and, yeah. and, and as, as you know, I already mentioned, you know, the, the idea of television, back when you know our parents and our grandparents kind of were were watching you know television like rawhide or the rifleman you know specifically westerns or even things like you know the incredible hulk or kung fu 
you know, it was about kind of like the, 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 the lone ranger type kind of, you know, walking into a town and kind of getting into an adventure or a mishap and kind of, you know, by the end of it, everything kind of being all tied up and then they would go on to the next, you know, town or story. Like, and that's very you know, much what this is, right? Like yeah. it is, it's taking inspiration from that, but instead of the town, it's planet to planet, right? Like yeah. you go to a, a town in a planet in the, in the first episode, just the Mandalorian entering this, this town with, you know, Timothy Oliphant's character playing a sheriff and, um, or not a sheriff, sorry. A marshal. A, a marshal. If, if, if you need um, a marshal, get Timothy yeah, Oliphant. Yeah. And um, just him cruising in on the land speeder, it's just like really, you know, the the cowboy entering the town on the horse kind of thing, right? It's it's very much that. So it is inspired by a lot of those Westerns and, and stuff like that. I'm digging it. I like it. It's Star Wars. It's cool creatures, fun adventures, like um, some cool world building and, and fle- it's the stuff we talk about that we want from star wars where you know it very much is building out the universe even more and seeing those little side pockets that we don't really get enough of and then it is tying into some of the bigger you know story elements that we've seen throughout the you know the main movies and stuff like that too which is kind of interesting i don't know um i'm curious to see where it goes there but i'm i'm excited to watch more i just think of the mistress america line uh the noah bomback movie where greta gerwig says you know tv is the new american novel and that's what a lot of television is because like you can look at something like watchmen and you can dissect it and take an episode out of the whole but and appreciate it, but it's only a piece of the puzzle. So when you put it back and you, you know, take a step back and look at it as a whole, you realize that it's an over, you know, arching storyline and narrative. And and from beginning to end, you know, nine hours is is one film where with The Mandalorian, you could kind of go into basically any one episode and kind of just enjoy it on its own and just kind of get the gist of what it is based on one episode. Yeah. Totally. Uh, anything else you wanted to suggest uh, people to buy, pick up physical? Uh, not this week. There, uh, again, I, I mentioned the Friday the 13th box set. I mentioned uh, uh, the Back to the Future uh, 4K uh, trilogy being released. Um, the Clint Eastwood uh, re-release uh, his directorial debut, Play Misty for Me through Kino Lorber, which is a really solid debut. Um, not like the movies he's made in the last uh 10, 15 years. Um, so yeah, there's a, a parasite on criterion, which is, is I do well worth pick your that time. Up. Yeah. Um, even if you have the Blu-ray and 4k already, um, did you pick it up a third time? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God, <laughs> God bless you. It's a great movie. Oh, uh, it really is. I, I, I specifically didn't pick up the physical copy before. Cause I, you know me, I'm, I'm more digital now, but, um, I, you're a Digimon. I still pick up like my, favorite favorite movies on physical so uh the parasite criterion is something i've been waiting for i do well, have you've been it. waiting for cats as well like you're waiting for a four cats on yeah. north america oh god i would buy that um no i wouldn't actually <laughs> that's a lie i did buy it when it was cheap on on itunes just because i will watch that again um there are a bunch of movies under ten dollars in 4k on uh apple tv like usual um we got uh, sonic the hedgehog uh under ten dollars um kind of a fun movie from this year not super great but i mean um if you have an affinity for that character or some nostalgia for that character i actually thought it was somewhat enjoyable uh wonder woman's uh, uh in 4k under ten dollars emma from this year uh under ten dollars for 4k 
uh, if you're a fan of talking about you know prestige TV of the last you know decade or so, Downton Abbey the film is under ten dollars in 4K. Um, Gladiator, uh, Little Women, um, Kickass. Um, uh, what else do we got here? Deepwater Horizon, um, Apocalypse Now, Final Cut in 4K under ten dollars. Step Brothers in 4K under ten dollars. Deep Impact um, in 4K under $10. As mentioned in the movie Fireball with uh, yeah. Werner Herzog. Yeah. Will I pick that up? Maybe. Um, Tully, which I actually uh, didn't mind. Hereditary, Waves, uh, The Disaster Artist, um, Rango, Apollo 11. So tons and tons of stuff. 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, tons of stuff over on Apple. That's where I usually... You know, I peruse for my 4K deals every week and I spend way too much money. Because when you, Eric, this is the thing, and I'm looking at you with, you know, your um, wall of Blu rays behind you. Um, Even in the digital side of things, I see things for, you know, five, ten dollars. And I'm like, oh, it's five and ten dollars. It's nothing. It adds up. up, Yes, that's what I mean. Like you go, oh, that's nothing. Buy. That's nothing. Buy. And then I get my iTunes bill a couple days later. I'm like, oh, no, I spent like, 75 bucks on movies that i didn't realize and i continue why did i order cats seven times i know it's just like that kind of shit is what um what adds up for me and i'm like oh i already built up a 400 movies on itunes in the last like year or something like that because i just keep buying shit um let's move on to some trailers uh Again, a weird time, like you said. We've been doing monthly episodes, and we haven't really missed, you know, all that much because there's not that many movies coming out. Uh, although we're trying to review everything that does come out over on Untitled Movie Reviews, but um, we did miss, you know, a few trailers over the last uh, month or so. Um, I don't know where you want to start, Eric. I guess we can start. Are you? Uh, maybe we won't talk about that because I think you're embargoed on it, and I will watch it soon. And I. And we can just review it. So I'm going to skip that. Oh, I know that. what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just skip that because we shouldn't talk about a trailer for a movie that you've uh, you've already seen. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. All like the embargo lifts on November 10th, though. Right. So it's a couple couple days. Yeah. So I'll we'll be reviewing this film. It's Hillbilly Elegy, right? Is how you say it. Um, Elegy. Elegy. Um, so that's uh, Ron Howard's new film. Uh, we'll have a review for it this week. Um, so we won't talk about the, uh, the trailer. Um, we don't need to empty man. Disney randomly dropped a trailer and then said, Hey, it's coming out next week. Um, and it's already playing in cinemas. I don't think many people even reviewed it because they don't think they screened it for anyone. Right? No, they did not screen it for press and anybody that wanted to see it had to decide whether or not to go to a movie theater during the pandemic. Yeah. I think Barry Hertz is the only film critic in at least in Toronto that maybe <laughs> that ventured it. outside of Toronto with the yeah. Globe and Mail. Um, but yeah, other than that, this is a movie that I don't think is real. <laughs> yeah, I know. I saw the trailer. I'm like, uh, it, it's a, a layover from the, you know, Fox deal 
with Disney. So Disney didn't know what to do with it, much like New Mutants. So they did a similar thing where they were just like, let's just put it out in the middle of a pandemic and we'll just get it. But they gave New Mutants a little bit more leeway where like they they still did have like day of press screenings and they had more time to kind of build a marketing campaign. I don't know what the quality of Empty Man is. And from everything that I've seen, it doesn't look great. But the one thing I do believe with any movie is that every film, you know, deserves its day in court. And I kind of feel that like it is unfortunate in a way that you put out right now. Yeah. That Disney kind of gave it the short trip like that. Again, I'm not talking about like, this is, you know, I think that this is a good movie or what have you. I'm just saying that like, I think every movie deserves a chance chance to be seen and reviewed and discussed. And this like, you know, is kind of a bit of a slap in the filmmaker's face. And it's just kind of like, we'll just dump this and, like maybe we'll make a couple of bucks between, you know, people going to see like honesty for the war uh, with grandpa. Right. We went through when you were over the other day and I'm like, I forgot these movies came out and even looking at what trailers dropped over the last month. I've just, I've noticed that I've just been like, I don't watch them. I guess maybe one we're we've been busy with things Two, there's just not that much coming out so when trailers get dropped it's just like you know what i'll just wait and i'll just watch these movies when they it, like come out because a lot of the times we're getting trailers you know only a couple weeks from when a movie's coming out but we did get trailers for ma rainey's uh black bottom we got trailers for raya and the last dragon i didn't watch either of those did you watch them um i watched ma rainey which I agree with you, like, especially now where it kind of feels like with with Netflix specifically, like, you know, those movies, the the trailers usually drop a month or so before they're available to stream. So it kind of feels like, well, what's what's the point? I might as well just wait the month and see it. And especially with us who are screening things, sometimes we get things two, three weeks before they come out. So it's just exactly. So it's kind of like, well, you know, like I rather just kind of go into this movie cold, I mean, or at least, you know know about what it is but at least you know not have any visual kind of which is actually good i like that i just don't do it very often but we were also talking about like it it is kind of nice to have things to look forward to and like each week or every month and be like oh yeah like this is this next big movie that's coming out and it kind of like you're building to it this year we really haven't had that i mean yes there have been streaming releases and films that have been dated but the excitement level of kind of having something you know to anticipate has all but vanished i mean at this point the only film that is left standing and i'm sure that's going to change very soon is wonder woman 1984 being released in december i mean disney decided to pull the plug on free guy and uh death of the nile and and yeah. things like that and soul is coming out on disney plus now so you know like there's there's not really anything to look forward to like there's a couple s- smaller movies like promising young woman but now a lot of them are you know premium vod releases as well so you know like if if you know, like if we're looking forward to something, it will, we'll have it soon enough, you know? And it's, yeah, that's like why I didn't watch the second trailer to freaky because we're going to see that we're going to review that this week. So I, I kind of skipped that as well. Um, and then most of the trailers, if you look at everything recent is all Netflix stuff. So I already mentioned Ma Rainey's black bottom. We got, uh, two different mank trailers, which mank is, uh, uh, getting released in some 
theaters this week, but then also coming to Netflix early December. Um, but then we also have the prom trailer dropped from Netflix, the midnight sky trailer dropped from Netflix. Uh, I feel like we got something else from Netflix as well. I'm looking through maybe not, but those at least. And like, I did watch the midnight sky trailer, liked it, you know, George Clooney space movie. I'm in, um, mank. I love, I love just David Fincher being in control of his own marketing, which I know is something he does with a lot of his films. So um, I nerd out over that stuff because it seems like he actually like gives a shit about the marketing as he thinks it's maybe not just as important, but he thinks it is a very important part of the films he puts out. So I always appreciate seeing his trailers. Well, he's a control and his, freak. That's, yes, that's his and, thing because after his, his experience with alien three, he, he always talks about kind of knowing a little bit about everything in the film industry. And so like when he's having a conversation with the marketing team or people in, you know, specific uh, craft areas, he knows what he's talking about and he can kind of guide them, but he's also obsessive compulsive in that way because like everything is so, you know, like scrutinized and, and, and sort of labored over that when you get to the final film or the final product, you feel that like, his fingerprints are all over it. Like even on just like the Blu-ray covers or Blu-ray. That's what I mean. Like even his Blu-ray cases, he, you can tell he like actually gives a shit and he goes, no, I'm not putting out a movie that just comes out in a fucking blue case with a, uh, a badly Photoshopped, um, you know, thing he and i appreciate that because i do i think you do as well we like kind of nerd out over that kind of stuff where like each one of his blu-ray releases has a unique packaging whether it comes with you know in gone girl the 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 book um uh that well, it looks like a book, book. Sleeve, yeah right? and each one of them like the social network one looks great as well and and um or girl the girl with the, with the dragon, dragon tattoo, tattoo looking yeah. like a, a, a bootleg burnt, yeah. uh Blu-ray, Blu-ray like it's stuff yeah. like that. And and then you really see that in the Mank trailer with the Netflix international pictures. And and I mean, everyone, the Mank reviews have started to trickle out as well. And everyone's saying like, he really went hard on trying to make this sound look and feel like a lost movie from that time. Right. And you can kind of see that in the trailers. And I've heard everything from, you know, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross's score. They used all, you know, instruments from that era and stuff like that. So the trailer really showed. not shot on film though, right? See, that's the one thing. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm curious. We're going to probably see it pretty soon. But um, I dug a movie. Fincher's interesting because no matter what it, the movie's about, like this doesn't seem like a movie that I'd be super into or the subject matter. I just wouldn't. I don't know. It just doesn't seem really up my alley. Um, but after seeing the trailer, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll watch any Fincher movie. And I, I'm, I'm pretty psyched about this, but yeah, I'm excited about it too. I mean, I, I posted a, a, a hot take on Twitter uh, recently to get people riled up. Not, not really, but like to me, the curious case of Benjamin Button, I, I think oh, is, right. we were going to talk it's about worst that yeah. film. And, and I don't like, think many I, people would get riled up other than me. I, I like Benjamin Button, but although it's been, almost a decade probably more since i've seen it so yeah because it was released in 2008 and to me like i look at so after panic room fincher took five years off right so panic room was 2003 zodiac was 2007 and zodiac was his return to doing the serial killer thing procedural movie and you know it also following uh, memories of of murder for you know the art house crowd. So a lot that of people. That Blu-ray were, covers great too. 
Yeah, so a lot of people were excited for Fincher to do that. And I think that Zodiac is one of his best films. Um, and then Curious Case, the thing with Curious Case of Benjamin Button that drove me crazy even when watching the film, I liked it the first time, but there were things about it where I was like, this isn't working for me. And I don't really love the tech because Fincher, you can always say that the tech and the filmmaking is impeccable. Like he's one of those guys that is a meticulous filmmaker. He knows what he's doing when it comes to, you know, the, the look, the feel, the, the behind the scenes aspects, the editing, everything is on par with, you know, the most cutting edge of technology when it comes to emotion and sentimentality and nostalgia it just does not come through and him to do a derivative version of Forrest Gump and to make you care about the relationship between um, Brad Pitt's character and Kate Blanchett's character. Just, it never got me and rewatching it. I watched it three or four years ago. Technology is even more dated. Okay. Yeah. The emotions do not work and the sentimentality does not work. And the sentimentality doesn't work in something like the game either, but at least the game is still kind of your classic like puzzle box that you're kind of trying to figure out. But like when you get to the emotional core of that movie with Michael Douglas kind of having his cathartic moment of, you know, feeling something again and facing the emotions of losing his father, I never cared about that stuff. But I still think that that movie worked because it was just kind of like a fun kind of puzzle box. But with Curious Case of Benjamin Button, it's relying almost completely on sort of you having this emotional Emotional, impact by the end of the film. And it just he's just not good with that stuff. He's not a Fair. sentimental filmmaker. Fair. I mean, I can't go super in deep into it until I, I probably rewatch it. Cause it's been way, way too long, but I would love to revisit it and see if, you know, my thoughts change like you to the, some of the things that you're saying right now. Cause it, it has been a while. It's probably been 10 years since I've seen it. Um, uh, or probably actually since it's release, uh, I, I remember waiting and, or actually don't tell anyone, but I think I probably watched like a, uh, a DVD screener rip of it. An Academy college. screener. Yeah. You know, back in, back in the, my college days when I would, you know, I, I don't support any of that. Now I was a dumb kid. Um, but I remember, um, yeah, going on some sort of torrent site. And I think Benjamin Button was one of those movies. That I, I, I torrented the, uh, award screener of it way back in the day. Um, but don't support that. Don't do that. That's bad. I was a dumb kid. Um, so yeah, maybe I'll watch it in the next couple of weeks and I'll, uh, we can talk about it a little bit more. Um, and then I guess the other thing I wanted to talk about, there was a Halloween kills teaser trailer. Um, you know, Michael Myers survived and he's going to come after Laurie Strode again. Uh, <laughs> so there's not Makes much sense. else to say Makes there. Sense. It's, uh, it's it was like 30 seconds long. Uh, songbird. I wanted to talk about songbird quickly. Um, uh, we got a trailer for the Michael Bay produced pandemic thriller starring Archie himself, KJ Appa. Um, and uh, it looks ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it's it. you can tell like it is the, the very definition of an exploitation film and wanting to kind of be the first, I guess, quote unquote, major studio film to sort of tackle the subject in a, a genre. I mean, we talked about, you, you mentioned already host, which I think, you know, incorporates the pandemic, but doesn't kind of make it feel as though you're 
watching something and feeling like you're being exploited or like the idea that these characters or stories just being made because, well, let's, let's rile up some people and see if we can make some money off of this and just be the, the, you know, the first person to do it. And Michael Bay is one of those guys where, you know, that there's no sensitivity going into this whatsoever. And I'm not, I'm not against a genre film about this, but it just feels like the only reason they made it right now is just to be the kind of the first that's, and and that's it. And like everything from the trailer, it's like, okay, like this could probably be like a fine, like 28 days later, contagion-esque ripoff, but for but them to, to be, call it COVID-23 yeah, and, and like to kind of be like talking about people getting sick and, you know, marginalization, like it feels like, well, this movie is really kind of pushing buttons to be a provocateur, but what it really is is just, you know, again, like this is only based on the trailer, but it just kind of, to me feels like, well, it's just doing it for the sake of, you know, making some money. Yeah. I totally agree with that. It's kind of gross, but, um, I don't know. I, I, and I remember it being the first thing that rushed into production. And then I think they got in trouble for, you know, they rushed into it and didn't have all the proper protocols yet. Right. Where we yeah, saw they didn't have any like, safety standards set up you know, or anything. So, so I, I applaud the other people who, you know, waited. And I, not that I necessarily agree that some things like, I mean, we just saw that Jurassic world dominion just finished shooting after, you know, having a few troubles in their production with people getting COVID. I think we saw some other productions have to shut down due to a couple of Batman. Yeah. The Batman. And obviously being one of the more uh, famous ones with Robert Pattinson getting it. And um, yeah, it just kind of, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird time still and maybe not the best time to be shooting a movie, but some are doing it, you know, properly, which is good. Uh, we've seen, like I mentioned, Spider-Man three shooting right now, Dr. Strange, Paul Thomas Anderson's new movie is shooting in LA. Yeah, exactly. So there are, I'm not saying you can't do it because we've seen other people do it properly. It's just, you got to be very, very careful. Take the precautions Um, necessary to protect the cast and crew. And yeah, a lot of these productions are going to take longer than they normally would without the pandemic, but slow and steady wins the race. Right. Yeah. And it keeps everybody safe in the process. So totally. that's important. And it's, but, and like, I think, you know, like smaller movies, like th- it was just announced that Ben Wheatley's uh, newest movie that he also shot during the pandemic, that is kind of also inspired by what's going on right now um, uh, in the earth, which neon picked up, um, you know, like smaller crews might be easier to manage where if you have like a bigger production, like a Jurassic park or like a Batman movie, there's so much going on. And even though you can reduce the crew capacity, you still have to kind of consider like there are more working parts to a a production like that. So yeah, like I think it's, it's important for these studios to kind of, you know, implement and maintain, um, you know, health and safety standards that will make sure that, you know, people are safe and, you know, constantly getting tested and to make sure that you can get this thing done, but just take the time to do it. You know, like right now is not a good time to rush or cut corners. Yeah, totally. Um, moving on to the news, um, you mentioned it a little bit, uh, earlier in the episode, but, um, unfortunately today, uh, the great Alex Trebek, uh, passed away, which is what I wanted to kick off the news section with um we knew he was dealing with um you know a pretty late stage uh pancreatic cancer in the last you know year or so um you know uh just a a total bummer i think a a great canadian uh i think one of the 
probably the greatest, you know, game show host uh, of all time. And um, just uh, super sad, really caught me off guard, even though we knew he was dealing with this stuff, but we knew he went back to shooting the newest season of Jeopardy recently. And, um, but just a a sad day, like Alex Trebek, probably one of, I don't know, one of the most famous and well-known people of all time, I would say. Yeah. And just kind of like you mentioned, not only like, I mean, he is, in my opinion, and I think many people's opinion, the greatest game show host, but like just somebody who was always kind of constant yeah. in, in people's lives because, I mean, Jeopardy airs five times a week. And whether since or not you 80s, watch right? since the 80s, yeah. yeah and, and whether or not you watch it all the time or, you know, catch up with it on, on Netflix or used or, to watch it or watch whatever. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like he, it always, like it's it, comforting. Like, it's, like yeah, it's comforting, but it's also, and maybe it's naive to think this way, but like, it always felt that like he was never going to die. You know, like he was just going to, he was always there. Like he was just a constant in people's life that, you know, no matter what was happening, you know, whether, you know, some sadness in your life or happiness in your life, you could always rely on, you know, turning on the TV at a specific time during the day. And like, he would be there and the show would be there. And it was, you know, like I went to the Jeopardy set uh, the first time I went to LA in in 2005 and it was, it's on the same lot as the uh, Sony. uh, Yeah. It's the uh, Sony lot, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it was kind of fun seeing, you know, the, the setup for that and and what goes into the production. And um, yeah, like it just kind of feels like there's this whole end of an era kind of thing with with him because he you know is the face of it he was also very he's also very saucy at times with some of the oh, guests yeah, but yeah, yeah. You, but you never he was never but, a prick it was always kind of in fun right no. like yeah he was very suave and 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 you know kind of uh, very classy and sort of how he handled anything. And, and like, obviously the, uh, Will Ferrell, uh, SNL parodies of him, uh, you know, versing his arch nemesis who also sadly passed oh, away, yeah. uh, recently Sean yes. Connery. At the I mean, age we can 90. talk about that too. I mean, unfortunately, um, you know, like I was watching actually before I was waiting for you cause you were making some pierogies. Um, I, I was did, watching yeah. some of the, uh, the, the SNL, uh, skits, the, the, uh, Feral, Jeopardy episodes. Celebrity Jeopardy. Yeah. Yeah. And Daryl Hammond as, as Sean Connery. And they, they still are some of the best stuff from the nineties in terms of, um, you know, the SNL stuff from, from them at that point. So yeah, it's, I mean, he was such a, a cultural icon and, and again, like I just, you never think like, Oh, you know that he was sick, but at the same time, it's like, you know, like he's always going to be there and, you know, now he's, now he's not. So it's a bummer. And then Sean Connery too. Yeah. I mean, um, Sean Connery, who was 90, correct? Yep. Yeah. 10 years Um, older than Alex Trebek. Yeah. Yeah. 80 man. Yeah. It's still, I mean, a long, great life, obviously, but, um, and he didn't look that old, like Alex Trebek, like even, you know, in the last little bit, some of the footage that you've seen, like he looked like he was in very good health, you know, and, and the, the medication and treatments that he was taking, it didn't look like it completely, you know, withered him away. Like he, he looked very good for his age. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Um, yeah. I mean, a, a, a great, both of them, great, great men for obviously different reasons that Sean Connery, um, his time as James Bond and just a great film career um, after that as well. Um, just kind of a, a bummer to lose two greats like that within the last, you know, couple of weeks. 
Yeah, Connery is one of those guys, again, where, like, I remember as a kid, because my dad is a huge James Bond fan, that we would always watch the Connery movies. And, you know, like, I mean, his presence on screen is undeniable. Like, he just he just completely burns it up. And, like, you're mesmerized by what he's doing as Bond. And even though he was the first and kind of set the standard, I, I feel like everybody that came after him, you know, whether it be the comedic slapstick of Roger Moore or, you know, the darker side with Daniel Craig and Timothy Dalton, and a little bit of that with Pierce Brosnan as well, like everybody was just trying to emulate what he kind of created. But you look past Bond and like when he started working with people like, you know, Sidney Lumet with the the offense and the Anderson tapes and, you know, Murder on the Orient Express and with John Huston and uh Michael Caine and the man who would be king. He became this really great character actor as well. And then like into, you know, the eighties when he won the Oscar for Brian De Palma's The Untouchables and then, you know, kind of had this weird you know, renaissance of, of being an action star with the hunt for red October and kind of stealing the spotlight away from Alec uh, Baldwin's, um, you know, version of uh, Jack Ryan Ryan and in the Tom Clancy series. And then, you know, again with, you know, movies like, you know, The Rock with him and Nick Cage oh, teaming yeah. what up a movie. and things like that. <laughs> and then like, even at the end, like his last film, his last film that he was on screen, because he was in a, a um, an animated movie that he just did a voice for called Sir Bill. But his last on-screen role was the terrible um, Alan Moore adaptation of uh, Extraordinary, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. But even that wasn't enough to tarnish this amazing career of so many ups and downs and so many roles and appearances in film that like he was a problematic actor and like he, you know, it's been discussed as well that, you know, he was abusive to his first wife and his thoughts towards women were, you know, left a lot to be desired. But at the same time, you couldn't deny him as an actor and like, Again, like I look at something like Highlander. Highlander is the perfect example <laughs> where, like, he's playing a Spaniard who was born in Egypt with a Scottish accent. The most ridiculous combination, but still of a makes it work ever. But he has the that presence, magnetizing kind yeah. of quality that you can forget all that and just be absorbed by him. And he wasn't even like necessarily the greatest actor in the world, but, but a screen presence. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, moving on. I don't know. I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, I know we talked about electro. Did we talk about uh, Benedict Cumberbatch joining Spider-Man three? I don't think we did. That was right after, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, a little bit of Marvel news. Um, uh, I mean, this seems after hearing the Electro thing and now hearing, yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch has joined the cast of um, Spider-Man 3, um, reprising his role as Doctor Strange. Uh, he will be shooting that, you know, I think right before he moves over to doing Doctor Strange 2, which Sam Raimi is directing. So it's all kind of coming kind of interestingly full circle. And so are we getting Spider-Verse? Are we just getting some multiverse stuff? Are we um, like how involved will, you know, Dr. Strange be in the movie? Is it just a small role? Is it the Tony Stark role from the first one or the Nick Fury role from the the second movie? That's what I'm kind of assuming it'll kind of be like the new uncle Ben. Yeah. There's a new uncle Ben in each movie. Right. And I always think of Tony, Tony Stark is the uncle Ben of this version of Spider-Man. Um, I mean, I guess there is an uncle Ben that we might maybe 
or I, I I'm assuming, but it doesn't seem like it took the effect on Peter like it did in you know the normal kind of telling of the spider-man story that we know unless we learn more but um i'm curious to see what this means i mean we know wandavision supposed to tie into dr strange in the multiverse of madness now dr strange being in spider-man which we know that there were rumors that you know spider-man might cross universes or they're going to try to do some stuff to tie in the sony spider-man universe and the marvel mcu spider-man universe and try to kind of blend those together somehow and we hypothesize weave we, a complete yeah web. Ooh, a madam web um yeah i i don't know so I, i'm very curious i um i can't wait to see wandavision um and i can't wait to see what they do with this spider-man movie because having jamie fox return as electro whether that's a red herring or um or it actually being some multiverse stuff and maybe he gets thrown into the Andrew Garfield universe or they pull that one or pull electro out of there, or they kind of mash them together or how my, my thing is that he probably goes to Dr. Strange to be like, you need to help me because everyone knows my identity. Now they think I killed, um, you know, or they think I was the, the reason of the attacks at the end of the, 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 second film and things like that and maybe dr strange yeah what maybe dr strange sends him to another universe or in the comics uh there's a thing where dr strange uses magic to make everyone forget um that spider-man's identity um so i don't know i'm I'm curious i I like the addition i like the multiverse stuff i think it's i think they're gonna lean heavy into multiverse stuff in this next phase um and uh i'm i'm here for it and I think Spider-Verse is also to thank for that right. as well. I yeah. think that kind of got a lot of people really just interested in in doing that in a live action format. It is also interesting, though, that after the announcement of Jamie Foxx and Benedict Cumberbatch and the movie is now in production, that all other casting announcements – with the exception of the 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 main cast that you would expect to come back have been kind uh, of in secret. supporting roles has been secret and i think partly is because maybe i mean i i assume that whether it be the studio or the filmmakers i mean they know that people will put two and two together but i have a feeling that maybe they didn't want to announce anything else because people just kind of you know figured it out so quickly that this is kind of the direction we're going yeah. in and if we announce anything else it might just kind of be a little too obvious and it might just kind of ruin what they're what they're doing because well they haven't like, even announced cumberbatch or jamie fox right like those are both just trade um, rumors yeah ru- yeah well, i mean not they're pretty accurate usually when variety or you know hollywood reporter are, are saying them but i'm i'm with you where i'm surprised nothing else has come out because you know there were those rumors that andrew garfield and toby Maguire would be in the movie um that seems more likely than not now with with where it looks like they're going and um i wouldn't be surprised if you know even mcguire shows up in in sam raimi's um you know dr strange 2 or something but i don't know well, it, yeah and it makes sense to hire you know sam raimi now to to be a part of this universe and kind of maybe even act as a consultant 
moving forward on the Spider-Man movie because they're shooting basically back to back. But but again, like you have to look at Benedict Cumberbatch's role. Like, I mean, obviously Cumberbatch was also in Thor Ragnarok and that role kind of was a first act, uh, a, a sort of establishing cameo kind of cameo so i mean it could be that kind of role where you said like you know you got to hide me or place me somewhere or kind of like you know you in- introduce the interdimension jumping and that's the character you kind of bring in to kind of be you know the the a plot device so to speak and sort of get the the ball rolling or or the you know the web spinning so you know with that like i i could see cumberbatch kind of being maybe an extended cameo and kind of filling the the Tony Stark kind of role or Happy Hogan esque role that have kind of been prominent in the last two movies because you kind of want to get away from Stark industry right and kind of move into somewhere else now because you know that part of the the MCU at least for now is kind of done so yeah. Uh, and then the other piece of Marvel news we got was that Oscar Isaac looks like he will be joining the Moon Knight um, Disney Plus series as the titular Moonlight Moonlight Moon Knight. Um, so Barry Jenkins Moon Knight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, man, who knows now? But um, I love Oscar Isaac. I mean, I think uh, obviously uh, him as Apocalypse and X Men was not super great because of all the makeup on him and just a bad movie and a bad role, but um, love seeing him in anything. And I think seeing him join the MCU as like a a character that should be a a pretty big part of plans moving forward. And I like that they're taking these Disney plus series, you know, super, super seriously hiring great actors in the, in the roles. And I'm sure there will be a, you know, I mean, these are seem just important, just as important as the, as the movies. So, um, Interesting to see him, you know, come back to Disney after, you know, doing a big franchise with Star Wars as well. And um, obviously that, I don't know, you know, they were all pretty done with Star Wars by the end of it, but now getting yes, involved. John Boyega and, yeah. and Oscar Isaac and Oscar Isaac even said like he really didn't have any interest in in working within the Star Wars genre or even with Disney after the last Star Wars film. So so something changed and now he's involved Money. in another. Yeah. Um, and uh, or it could be cre- maybe he likes the character. I don't know. Or maybe he, I'm not saying he, there's anything wrong with a paycheck. I'm just the, saying like the, mar- the MCU, the MCU, I think, has been handled better than Star Wars has. So maybe it's something to do with Kevin Feige convincing him or, or whatever. But well, um, also, I think he's a Marvel fan. Like I remember with like X Men Apocalypse, like he was talking about, like he he did like Marvel in general. And it, you know, like I don't mind. Like at this point, I don't mind actors, you know, playing different roles within the MCU or, or jumping so over to DC now, or, right? yeah. or vice versa. Yeah. And you know, like you look at Michael B. Jordan and you look at Chris Evans and and that worked for them and the roles that they took on after the first kind of dip into <laughs> uh the MCU. Yeah, were much better. The the roles that they took on were were more appropriate for them and they and they were kind of it's funny that they both played the flaming torch and then went on to play better characters but it's but it is the same thing like with with oscar isaac like it's like why did you put this guy under all this makeup to make him look like ivan ooze and then give him really almost nothing to do other than you know the x-men movies always have like a big name actor to play the villain yeah and and i'm sure the same thing will happen with jessica chastain because like that was the other thing i was like why is she doing this and then when that character was never revealed to be anybody of interest or note it was like well what was the point 
Yeah. No, so. I'm I'm all I'm all for it. Why not give him another shot as a different character? And Moon Knight's an interesting one. I don't know much about the character. I read a little bit of Moon Knight comics when I got back into like Marvel comics about 10 years ago or so moon Knight was one of those interesting characters i didn't know much about and i i know he has multiple personalities and he kind of um is a, a cab driver but also like uh i don't know there's a whole bunch of stuff going on with moon Knight, but it, it seems like an interesting kind of batman-esque character a little bit but um who has you know schizophrenia or something i could be getting that wrong but um I'm into it. I, I I'm so curious. I want WandaVision so bad because I just want to see what these MCU uh, TV shows are like. And um, I mean, even uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, I, I'm psyched about to see. You know how craving for some Anthony Mackie and yeah. Sebastian. I know two characters I probably couldn't give a shit about in the and like. I mean, I like Winter Soldier enough. Um, Falcon, I just don't care about. But like when you when we've gone this long without an MCU movie and then you say you're bringing back some characters from the earlier days of the MCU, I like Daniel, uh, Bruhl, um, and seeing him in the Baron Zemo purple mask and just like seeing Wyatt Ooh. Russell, uh, seeing Wyatt Russell as like kind of the, um, as this captain America style character, I'm all for that. And like, so I I'm excited. And like someone tweeted the other day being like, Oh, this is a bummer. I just got a reminder on my calendar that we would have been seeing Chloe Zhao's Eternals this weekend. And I'm like, fuck, man. I'm like, but, but that was changed before the pandemic, though, wasn't it? As I don't well? think like so. That, I thought it was. I thought that was uh, kind of It was of always going to be November because it was always going to be Black Widow, then Eternals in November. And then, okay. and then I think at the beginning of the pandemic, when they shifted Black Widow, they immediately shifted Eternals to next year, and then it got delayed. Okay, yeah, again. maybe that's what I was thinking. I think of, it was because- back like right at the beginning uh, when they pushed Black Widow because originally they pushed Black Widow to November, which was the date that um, you know. That. Yeah, but now there's going to be this huge onslaught of all of these things. <laughs> yeah. Like as soon as like whenever the pandemic lifts, whether it be you know mid next year or, or into 2023 like as soon as you know the the dust has settled and whatever movie theaters look like or if they are still there you're going to have black widow you're going to have spider-man you're gonna have doctor strange you're gonna have all this the the sony we're gonna have know, like active tissue five movies and three series in one yeah year. <laughs> you're gonna be sick of it by the time like it's uh, gonna be like you're dude, gorging on i'll on take this it stuff right now i'll take it um i do miss it i miss that i said to you privately the other day i'm like i just miss mindless popcorn entertainment kind of shit and um we're getting some good movies again go check out untitled movie reviews for all that stuff like uh i i do think we're getting some good some good stuff i just uh even with like the kid detective we watched um this week which the reviews up like there are some small movies that are coming out where i'm like are pleasant surprises where i'm like i don't know if this would have gotten this attention if it wasn't you know released how it is being released right now but i do miss like you know, I just miss event cinema, right? Like that, like you mentioned earlier on the show, you were like that week to week, always something to look forward to, whether it's a big piece of cinema, like a Marvel movie or something 
auteur driven or, or film or, or award season driven or something like that. Like there was always that thing to look forward to the next week, right? Whether we were going to a screener in Toronto or we were going to a Thursday night showing at Landmark or, or Scotiabank or something like that. Like even the um, garbage now, I have yeah, this weird, weird like, like nostalgia, nostalgia for because <laughs> you used to go see stuff at the Ajax Cinema on like a Sunday night, right? And just go like, yeah, see- or even just dragging myself to see stuff for review purposes like earlier this year like one of the last movies i saw promo screening wise was was like a boss which is a piece of garbage but you almost um, missed now available now available (laughs) well no no that was an evening screen uh, but now available to uh to watch on amazon prime uh like it just kind of makes you you enjoy that but miss it more and, and reflect on it and the idea that like you know you you move on but you know, you see, like we took it for granted. We we saw all these movies each and every week, and we got to pick and choose what we wanted. And like we got to this. Now point we'll where just take like, any little crumb, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. There's still a lot of content out there, and there's been an abundance of it. But at the same time, I know what you're saying. We're like the event film. Other with maybe with the exception of Tenet, but I mean, even that was handled in such a poor manner. It, it this year has been a write off, you know, with the exception of the U.S. election going the way it did, and and you know, Parasite winning Best Picture at the beginning of the year. Yeah, but there are some positives, um, but still, yeah, yeah. But doesn't that feel but, like a century ago? The Parasite. Thing? Oh, it feels it feels <laughs> like a lifetime ago. <laughs> yeah. Um. Other things I wanted to touch on. Um. I mean, your uh, favorite film of the decade, Eric, um, is getting a uh, a you know a prequel. Uh, Mad Max Fury Hell, Road. Yeah. There's a Furiosa spinoff confirmed with Anya Taylor Joy and um, uh, George Miller uh, returning to direct. Um, Thor. Thor's in it. Chris uh, Hemsworth. Yeah. And uh, Yaya Abdul Mateen the second. Second. Yeah. A great cast. Um, as much as I, I'm kind of a hard ass on that movie, um, I don't hate it by any means. I just never understood the universal. Um, you know, love by everyone, but uh, okay, Matt, it's okay. You know, um, but I am, I'm, I, I like Anya Taylor Joy, love Chris Hemsworth, uh, Yaya Abdul Mateen II, great. Uh, so I'm totally into this. I mean, obviously, George Miller, um, his direction in that first movie is with the stunts and the practical stunts and, and everything is, is pretty incredible as much as I just only think the movie is good, not great. But um, give me some more of that chrome, baby. Yeah. So I, I'm curious, man. Uh, are you excited for this? Oh, absolutely. But at the same time, it's like I don't need, need it, it yeah. either because, like, the thing I love about Fury Road, I think it's the best version of Mad Max, and it. I've, I think I have talked about this, or at least when we did our uh, our our best of the decade um, uh, recording, where like. Mad Max and Evil Dead feel like it is the filmmaker, you know, Sam Raimi and George Miller, respectively, remaking their film over and over again to make the best version of it. And it's almost like this weird, like, you know, metaphor of filmmaking in general, where like a filmmaker will not be satisfied, you know, with the final product because they could find a way to tinker with it and make it better or you know i mean even george lucas has done this but you know to lesser effect with the star wars movies and you know meandering and jerry rigging it and playing with it over and over again but um but with evil dead and, and mad max specifically like evil dead one and two i love evil dead 
but Evil Dead 2 is literally a remake of that movie because like even in the commentary, Raimi's like, you know, that's Ash wouldn't be that dumb to do the same thing over again, uh, although he probably would be. Um, but at the same time, it's 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 a remake. And then even with Army of Darkness, that's the same thing. And with the Mad Max movies, he's you know, George Miller has kind of remade you know, this one film over and over again and kind of has, you know, put higher stakes with practical effects and cinematography and stunt work and everything that kind of goes into it. And I think that Fury Road is the best representation of that. And I, I still love The Road Warrior as well. Mad Max is okay. I think it's a fun exploitation movie, but it's kind of, you know, just like a, a fun B movie, uh, Beyond Thunderdome mixed bag for me. But Fury Road was just kind of like, this is what this filmmaker has been building to his entire career. And I feel like he said everything he needed to with this thing and he doesn't need to make another movie. He doesn't need to like, I mean, he makes other movies, but not another Mad Max or Mad Max universe film at the same time, because it's Miller coming back to do it. And the people that he has already assembled, I wonder if he'll also bring back John seal, the cinematographer, because he's basically retired. He came out of retirement for Fury Road. So will so. he do that again? That's the question. When is he going to return to the Babe universe is my question. That's a good question. Or the Happy Feet. Well, I'm hoping universe. for a Babe Happy Feet crossover. <laughs> yeah. um, Put a little uh, Lorenzo's oil in there as well yeah. for good measure. Didn't his Babe movie get nominated for Best Picture? Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm still, as much as I harp on that movie a little bit um i'm still kind of excited for that um anything else over the last you know month or so that you remember that you want to talk about um when it comes to uh news or you think we kind of covered the biggest stuff i think we covered a lot of the big stuff and 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 again like you know this year has kind of been strange in terms of news we've gotten some you know casting and some interesting tidbits here and there but a lot of it has kind of been, you know, mostly put on the back burner anyways, because, you know, a lot of productions are still trying to figure out what's the best way to kind of, you know, move forward. And and some productions will be delayed indefinitely until the pandemic is over and until everything has kind of been figured out. Now we also have that added, you know, stress of like what is going to happen to movie theaters because a lot of theaters in the US yeah, and internationally are man. at a place where they're, you know, circling bankruptcy. So, you know, yeah. like it's 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 a situation where we just don't know what's going on. And I feel like, you know, it's, it's suspended animation with the studios as well, because it's like, do we green light this movie that costs two hundred million dollars to make and 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 not knowing if it'll get a theatrical release or what, what is the landscape going to look like um, post uh, pandemic? Yeah, man, I think that's the biggest question moving into, you know, the winter and, and early next year is that, you know, we, with these movies getting pushed, we really don't have, you know, a big movie coming out until spring of next year, which is probably the smart decision, but um, yeah, AMC struggling, man, like who knows what's going on with Cineplex here in Canada. I know they have other, you know, business ventures, but you know, that whole sale with Cinemark that kind of fell through and that whole legal battle now. And like if AMC, which is the biggest theater chain in the U S goes bankrupt, like it's going to be, it's, I don't know. Will it rise up like, you know, a Phoenix from the ashes, the, the, you know, the independent cinema, like even those guys are struggling, but um, will this be an opportunity for people to, 
you know, refurbish old single cinemas and and kind of have the resurgence of that style of movie theater if these multiplexes kind of go under. But um, I don't know. Streamers step in like Netflix, like Amazon, like Apple and buy these theaters or work with them and change the, you know, release window of these films and kind of have to, you know, adapt to, you know, uh, day and date yeah release because those are those are the companies that could especially apple and and amazon could actually bail out a specific theater chain right yeah yeah Yeah. i mean you could keep calling it amc because both of them it could be amazon movies (laughs) or apple movies yeah i don't know man we'll see it's going to be uh an interesting you know end of the year there's some positivity based on the results of the presidential election. You hope that maybe there's some relief coming from not only, you know, big, I, I mean more from the people in the United States that are struggling right now. And, and uh, you know, a lot of these companies that employ a lot of people as well. But um, I thought yesterday when Joe Biden was announced as, you know, being president elect of the United States, that it was the, like I don't even live in the U.S. Neither of us live in the U.S., but we are close neighbors, so I can only imagine what people there are feeling. Uh, as long as, as if you're on, you know, this side of it, but which I think most people in our, you know, circles are. But like, I don't know. I just but I felt- even think a lot of conservatives, for the most part, you know, weren't on on the same kind of playing field as, as Trump specifically. Trump. Sure, maybe because he of- was basically turning it into he was turning the GOP Republican side into you know the Trump party and not like not looking the at Republican party. Yeah, and and a lot of I mean I, I think the the biggest problem with the Republicans on that side of the fence is that they didn't stand up to him and they just kind of yeah. kept let him do his thing because at least Republicans were, were in, in the white house. And, yeah. But, but at the same time, it shows how spineless a lot of them were yeah. because, you know, like they weren't standing up for the values and opinions that they believed in and believing in America first and foremost, exactly. Or someone and like Joe Biden, I don't think Joe Biden's the solution to no. He's the America. Like it's not going, though. he is, he is, he is basically for the next four years going to be patching certain, Certain, you know, wounds and healing hostilities certain, and yeah, yeah, hostilities that, you know, he, he's the cleanup crew. He really and is. Yeah. So, so, so next in the next four years, the, the Democrats and Republicans are going to have to decide on each, like what their parties will be moving forward. And it's going to be really fascinating to see what the 2024 election yeah. will look like, because, you know, Biden, I, I think doubt, Biden is yeah. only a one term president because of his age and, yeah. and what have you. So I agree with that. But I just meant my point being like, I actually felt some positivity yesterday in, in this very, I felt like a weight was being lifted yeah, and in this very shitty year. And you mentioned some of the positive things that have happened this year, but yesterday was that first time in a long time. I felt like, you know, seeing the people out in the streets and it felt like the end of fucking return of the Jedi. Um, right. And it just, I don't yep, know. No. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know, man. I, I hope that that means good things are coming or hopefully we can all kind of, you know, move forward. And the U S is still the center of the universe uh, as much as we might not, you know, maybe they believe that, but I mean us being close neighbors and just, you know, especially in this industry that we're talking about on this podcast, they very much are. So it's just, to see that start to get patched up 
and then hopefully the coronavirus pandemic kind of get, you know, it's shit handled in the U S and then hopefully we can all get back to some sort of normalcy. It's looking like probably not until next halfway through next year um at the earliest at the very yeah. earliest like yeah. like there there is like even even when a vaccine has been you know officially created and sanctioned and things like that you got to think of like how long is that going to take to distribute when are um countries going to lift bans because because nothing is going to just re- not everything is going to reopen all at once. Yeah, right. It takes time. So well, you know, I this, mean, everything this, did reopen all at once in the U.S. But. Well, in the U.S., <laughs> but I mean, look what was I going know. on at that yeah. point. You know, and did you and, watch any of SNL last night before we go? No, um, I didn't. So, I I just didn't. I I I have mixed feelings on Dave Chappelle. Yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan. I watched his monologue. Did not like it um at all but i was mentioning that they it was delayed because of a college football game and did you see this where like notre dame beat i don't know clemenson is that a, a college i don't know um or some other college and it was just a regular game a mid-season game and there was i couldn't believe how many people were in the stadium and then they all rushed onto the field after they won and just so, like swarm the entire football field was covered with people celebrating I'm like, what the yeah. fuck is happening right now? And like, this is like after Joe Biden's like um, speech last night and before SNL. And it was just like, like, I can't believe what's going on. But um, well, you got to think as well, like it's, it just has been dragged on for so long, like not just the election, but those last four years in the US where it's all been friction and division and nothing has happened, pro- you know, productivity wise and everybody's been at each other's throats and Trump has done nothing but to, you know, stir the pot and throw gasoline onto a burning fire that like when that announcement was made yesterday, it like, it just, it felt like somebody was finally like everybody was able to take a deep breath and then just have some optimism moving forward. We finally have an adult (laughs) in charge. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Even though it's, yeah um i think we'll end it there thank you all for listening um super psyched to kind of get back into a normal schedule of this um this was fun and i mean mind you there's not a ton of news every week but i mean eric and i will have lots to talk about obviously being a two-hour episode right now but um thank you all for listening uh if you like this like we mentioned we have a couple other podcasts we would love for you guys to go check out so untitled movie reviews um is our reviews show where eric and i for you know 20 to 30 minutes uh talk about new release films and review them in a slightly more professional way uh, than we do here. Um, So go check that out. Untitled movie reviews have tons of reviews for all the movies that have come out, you know, this year. Um, Also, we have another show called untitled movie conversations where we interview our friends and colleagues and filmmakers and composers from around the industry. Uh, We're, you know, launched a pilot, trilogy of episodes and now we're going to get back into it so um, i think we have a guest that we will probably record in the next week or two yeah we need to get in touch with him yeah 
but we'll see. Uh, that's going to start ramping up soon as well. So Untitled Movie Conversations, uh, our interview show, go check that out as well. If you have a spare moment, we would love for you guys to review our trilogy uh, of podcasts. So Untitled Movie Podcasts, Untitled Movie Reviews, Untitled Movie Conversations. If you go to your podcast service of choice, just hit that five stars or whatever you want to rate us. We'd, we'd appreciate the five stars uh, or the thumbs up or whatever rating system that they have. Uh, please follow us on all those social medias at Untitled underscore cast and as always my name is matt rohrbeck you can follow me and my work around the internet but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com and you can catch me on all of those social medias at matt rohrbeck i'm usually rating things on letterboxd or uh tweeting some sort of nonsense on twitter and i'm eric Martin. you can find more of my video reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinema scene and i'm on the social medias at em6211 until next time Rest in peace, Alex Trebek and Sean Connery.